Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today we're talking about cybersecurity and specifically the Trusted Internet Connections or TIC 3.0 initiative. When I spoke with my guests a few months ago, the Homeland Security Department was just beginning to finalize the guidance. But now with the surge of teleworkers across the government because of the coronavirus pandemic, we first reported on April 3rd that DHS was going to issue interim guidance to accelerate the case study for remote workers or branch offices. The goal of the interim guidance, which is good only through the end of calendar year 2020, is to ensure agencies have the necessary flexibility without losing any security rigor. The guidance will help agencies make sure that employees can connect to internal networks or government cloud services without suffering the latency that has traditionally come with going through a tick. You can find the guidance on federalnewsnetwork.com. Now, let's get on with the show. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections Program Manager. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Jason. And Stephen Kovac, the Vice President of Global Government for Zscaler. Stephen, always great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Jason. Glad to be here. Let me start with Sean. Uh, the Trusted Internet Connections 3.0, the, the excitement is building around this, the community. I know you can feel it. Uh, but you guys have gotten some some comments in about the, the draft use cases, the draft implementation guidance, the, I think about five documents you guys put out. So give me a sense. What, what are some of those trends you're starting to see? What are some of those the feedback you're getting from uh, people like Stephen and others in industry? Just so everyone understands, the documents that we released were built over a number of years. We've had uh, interagency working groups. In those interagency working groups, we've had participation from over uh, 50 agencies. We've also had, through GSA and the EIS program, a number of one-on-ones with each of the EIS vendors. Aside from those, we've also had deep dives and one-on-ones with each of the cloud service providers, with security vendors, with agencies. Aside from that, we've been doing a number of pilots in the background. So through all that was what built out in those documents that you mentioned before. So the interest or the focus on those documents is about the use cases, the overlays, the capabilities in them, and the alternative architectures that's allowed through OMB's Tech Memo. As you guys are getting comments back, and again, they're from industry, they're from associations, they're probably maybe some from government folks. Is there anything you're seeing that's standing out to you? Are you surprised by anything? Give me a sense of, of some of that feedback. Sure. So we're going through the adjudication process. And as we go through, there are some things we're recognizing around the trust zones themselves, how we can expand the ideas of the trust zones. The trust zones are abstract. They're conceptual. They're notional. One of the things from our side is as we build out these pilots, we have to build out on what we see, what's available in the pilots themselves. So right now, the pilots that we're working on are more toward infrastructure alternatives, infrastructure service pilots. Um, ideally, though, we expect at some point we'll start having zero trust pods. We can start embedding some of those concepts more into the zero trust use case itself. But the trust zone itself, that concept, I mentioned it was uh, abstract. It can be a network. It can be a VPC with a cloud provider. It can ideally, we want to shrink that trust zone, zone down to be as small as possible, to focus on the application, to focus on the identity user. But with the pods we have right now, it's more focused on a larger uh, spectrum of uh, networks and systems. Walk me through, if you could, a little bit of those pilots. There's several that, that you guys are considering, and then I want to dig deeper into the trust zone, zero trust. Start with the overall pilots. So the pilots themselves, they started from OMB as one of the activities out of uh, building out the new policy. OMB uh, announced to the agencies a uh, desire for different alternative solutions 
for different cloud uh, architectures. And from that, OMB, ourselves, CISA, and GSA, we select a, f- a number of those pilots. That same model is what we're going to be using going forward. Uh, you'll hear us talk about the federal CISO TIC subcommittee. I'll just call it the subcommittee. Uh, they are going to be announcing uh, data calls for new pilots. Agencies will build out proposals. Those proposals will go back to the subcommittee. Uh, we'll decide which of those proposals best meet the intent of the use case. And from those, then we'll work with the agency as they build out the pilot to meet their risk strategy, meet their architectures. We'll be monitoring and observing them in the background. Uh, once those pilots wrap up, so, so we will then be able to distill lessons learned from that, build those into a draft use case. We'll be working with GSA the whole time. We'll turn that draft use case over to the subcommittee to approve. They'll approve it for the greater.gov. Same time, GSA, they'll be working in the background to build that use case into a service package for the EIS vehicle. So these pilots have not kicked off yet. That's part of the, the discussions happening. Do you get a sense of when that data call is going to happen? Do you get a sense of when these pilots will, will start to, to mm-hmm. come to fruition? So there's been the original set of pilots uh, that we're working with through OMB. And because sensitivities, um, we recognize SBA. They've talked about their pilot, Department of Energy. They've talked about their pilot. But there's also been another number of other pilots that we've been working on in the background Aside from those, uh, the the expectation is once we release the final set of guidance, the guidance you mentioned before, that's in draft. Once we release that, at that same time, we'll be working through that subcommittee. The subcommittee will announce it out. Ideally, sometime in the late spring or summer is when I think we'll start seeing the, the data call uh, for more pilots. And mention agencies are excited. They're they're probably chomping at the bit, maybe a little bit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a little bit. Okay. Let's maybe expand this conversation. There's potentially some zero trust pilots as well as the trust zones effort. These are not the same thing. Zero trust, if you will, is that concept. Trust zone is something I think a little bit more specific. So what's the difference between the two? Sure. So I think they actually work well together. I'm also one of the authors on the NIST special pub on zero trust. And working through the team at NIST, we want to make sure that the two align between what zero trust is and where tick could go. And so that concept of the trust zone fits well with the uh, trusted resource, the trusted application that's talked about in the NIST special pub. From the TIC side, we need to be a little more conceptual. That's why that uh, idea of the trust zone isn't just limited down to a trusted resource. It still needs to be a, a system or a, a, um, an architecture where agencies have that flexibility to decide how best to use that trust zone to meet those use cases they build them out. And the trust zone, I think you, you put a good definition on it. It could be an application. It could be a person. It could be data. It's whatever you're trying to, if you will, secure the best way you can secure it versus the old way of securing everything, putting the big, you know, we'll use the old uh, example of a moat with a big wall and et cetera. Instead, this trust zone is we're just going to put it around this X, whatever X is. So ideally, that's what we want to do, shrink that trust zone to be as small as possible. One of the things with TIC that we've heard from a lot of agencies is they still want flexibility in terms of some agencies still like that TIC to that traditional TIC access point. To them, those trust zones are simple. It's the internal trust zone and that external uh, untrusted zone. So we, we need to make sure that this framework that we build out can still support those type of architectures, like you said, that traditional perimeter, moat, and such. But then also, as agencies start to uh, expand out into modern architectures, how those trust zones can then be applied to those architectures also. The zero trust piece, let's maybe walk down that path a little bit as well. Help me understand where zero trust fits into this tick discussion. Let me answer the question this way. 
when the subcommittee announces the uh, zero trust proposals, the pilots, agencies will submit their proposals back to us. We plan to then observe those pilots in the background. The agencies are free to interpret how they want with the zero trust. There's a lot of moving elements with zero trust. There's the identity factor. There's a contextual uh, continual awareness factor. There's also just the abstraction away from the, the network itself and how it's more focused on the application or the, the user. I mentioned the identity. And so we want to monitor these pods in the background and then from those different pods to still lessons learned into our use cases. And then we can publish that uh, use case out to the uh, greater government for adoption. Do you think that the agencies, generally speaking, understand that the zero trust piece and the tick piece and the trust zones – how they all work together? Or is that something that the use cases will try to help them understand that each of these pieces and each of these ideas will fit together for that broader? And here, here's another buzzword I'll use for you, their holistic approach yeah. to cybersecurity. People couldn't see this, but Sean cringed just a little bit. So the idea with the, the use cases, we released two use cases, draft use cases with our documentation. We released the traditional tick access point use case, and then we also released one on a branch office use case. Uh, on the OMB memo, we are responsible for a number of other use cases also. And our, our idea was to release these first two draft use cases, get feedback back from the agencies and from vendors and public, and then build out the other use cases in the background. So we are still responsible for an infrastructure as a service, a platform as a service, software as a service, email, and a remote user uh, use case. And we, we, we would like to couple possibly – the zero trust activities back to their user use case. But the, the idea was to use those first two draft use cases, everyone understand what those were. And it's about 30 pages of guidance between the data flows, the capability requirements. And then after we understand uh, where we need to course correct a little, we'll start building out the other use cases. One of the things when we talk about trust zones is it's – is this considered a new concept? Is this considered something that agencies haven't been doing, or is it relates back to the high valued assets effort? Does it does it relate back to CDM even? It's a um, combination of all that. So back with the traditional tick access point, it was that internal external trust zone, even though it really wasn't defined at that point uh, ten years ago. But as the modern architecture has matured, as we have high value assets, as we have more mobility into the cloud, we need this concept of the trust zones, and then to build out different architectures and security solutions around those trust zones themselves. So it's just not that binary solution. And you bring up the cloud, and I know you're not necessarily an expert on cloud, but does the cloud offer more challenges to reach, to, to create these trust zones? Does it offer more challenges to get toward that zero trust framework? From the perspective of the of cloud and the trust zones, what we're looking at with agencies is more how they want to secure their environments, define the different architectures of those trust zones themselves. When we built out the uh, trust zone concept, and we built this out uh, about a year and a half ago when we were working with the uh, working groups and the agencies, we had this gradient of three low trust zones, moderate trust zones, and high trust zones. And agencies came back pretty quickly and said they wanted more flexibility, just a gradient, low, medium, high, low, moderate, high. And so that's why we use those low, moderate, high to articulate our concepts in the documentation, but it's really up to the agencies. We've already talked to a few agencies that almost have a spectrum of 10 different types of trust zones. That includes, like you asked about, with cloud service providers, mobility, on-prem, off-prem, and such. I don't know if you can get a sense yet, but are agencies using this concept of trust zones? Are they waiting for something from DHS or TIC to use them or implement them? Where are we at just 
again, broad-based. Mm-hmm. The weight right now is more toward getting the documentation uh, finalized, uh, the draft, uh, tick guidance finalized. We have worked with a number of agencies. They've come to us and said, this, these are our architectures. Uh, this is how we want to meet back to the, the uh, use cases themselves. We plan to uh, work with those agencies to help them support, understand their architectures going forward. But it's really the concepts out there. We're interested to see is how those agencies, how vendors, because I think talking to a lot of vendors, they understand what we're trying to do with the trust zones, how they can be applied through the agency's architecture. We have to take a break. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, program manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Zscaler Vice President of Global Government. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, program manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Vice President of Global Government for Zscaler. Let me bring in Steve Kovac from Zscaler. When we talk about TIC 3.0, you played a fairly big role and working with DHS, among other vendors, to really change the concept. Because I know you and I have talked before, TIC was very frustrating in many ways, both to the agency side and to the vendor side. Everyone thought, okay, good initial idea, but the long-term implementation has been a little frustrating. What do you see is, what are you hearing from your, if you will, partners, your your agency customers about this TIC 3.0? You're right. We have talked quite a while about it. I, I consider it, I, I hate to use the term Stockholm Syndrome, but... We have a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where, you know, you have the person that's been incarcerated for years, comes out into society and doesn't know what to do, right? And a little bit of that is going on. It's it's not just at the agency level. It's also at the vendor level, at the SP level, the EIS partner level. It's, it's, it's we've been freed up. The chains have been removed. We can now do some really cool things. But there is a little bit of this sense from all of us in the industry is, okay, well, what what do we do next? Okay, it's here. Um, we have a couple of use cases. How do we do the next use case? What what What's the next kind of step? And I think there's this, uh, I, I don't want to call it reluctance. And, I, and I, that's why I go back to this. It's almost as if everybody's looking to make the, looking for everybody else to make the first move. So I think once we see the additional uh, use cases, and I think we said the early spring, you'll start to see people become a little more excited in the sense of, oh, I can do that. Oh, I have this idea versus this, well, we've been locked away for quite some time and and I don't want to make a mistake and lose my job over it and, and lose my job. And I don't mean necessarily just from the agency level. I mean, we're talking about federal data. This is security of federal data. It's serious stuff. So nobody wants to make a mistake here. So I think there's a little bit of that. And I think once we get through that, it's going to be a, a very exciting time. Sean, weigh in on that. Do you get the same sense from agencies? Are you hearing from them that they want, yes, yes, give us the use case faster, faster, faster? I think from our side, um, when you go back to OMB and their memo and, and the tone of the memo and then what we have in the uh, guidance we've released, Suzette Kent was very clear that the strategy has been for the last 10 years, that consolidation, uh, routing those networks back to these tick access points. Now it's that controlled expansion at the discretion of the agency CIOs and CISOs, how they want to expand those environments. It's also been the architecture. Last 10 years, that architecture has been that traditional tick access point. But now with the new memo, we have this uh, ability to alternative architectures and invisibility. And this is, the, I think, where a lot of the questions we have coming back to us. What does that visibility need to be both for the agency and their perspective and situational awareness, and then also for CISO ourselves in terms of our visibility? And there's different ways to gain visibility 
CDM, Einstein, uh, the tick program itself. So there's different ways for CISA to gain our visibility. But going back to what Steve was saying a little bit more, there is this understanding. We have, uh, I think, ideas of where they want to go, just how to get there is where we're seeing a lot of the questions. All right, you brought it up. I'm going to go down. I'm going to follow your lead, Sean. You brought up the, the word Einstein. There's obviously a lot of consternation in the in the community about the relationship between Tick and Einstein. I think a lot of people, including Steve, who I've talked to over the years, have said, hey, we believe that this is a good program, just we're not sure it fits with the Tick program anymore. How are you guys looking at whether you're going to decouple it or, or, or make it easier to kind of, for the two programs to live together? For a long time, the Tick program and the Einstein program were tightly coupled together. Wherever an agency had a tick access point, there was the DHS sensors, the Einstein sensors at those tick access points. But now these alternative architectures, it just doesn't make sense to put these physical Einstein sensors in these in these locations. It's not going to scale. It's not going to work in cloud environments. So for a number of years in the background, uh, along with the tick program, we've had our, uh, our peers from the Einstein program with us as we talk to the vendors, as we talk to the agencies, will the alternative architectures uh, would work uh, that the agencies are considering, and then how does that visibility come back to CISA? Uh, that documentation, the guidance that we released, there was uh, the last document was actually a document from the Einstein program, a cloud reference architecture of how the agencies could start to build solutions and send telemetry back to Einstein and the NCPS program. Uh, what's interesting to note is if you if you uh, read that document, it says Volume One. It's a separate voc- document from the uh, TIC documents, and that's just volume one. There is an expectation from the Einstein side that they are going to build out uh, new documents also. Uh, one of the things we start going forward with the, the pilots and the use case themselves, that decoupling that you mentioned before, it is possible that maybe for a TIC use case, it may be a scope of TIC, but may not be as much as focused on Einstein. Maybe we'll have more telemetry coming back to us from CDM. Same time, maybe the NCPS team, they may be working in an area where it's not as scoped for the TIC program to support. So they are still supporting each other, but they're also expanding their uh, roles also. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with Sean. I mean, I've said this, as you said, we, you know, I've I've said for quite some time, 10 years ago, the idea of what we were tracking through Einstein was, you know, NetFlow, DNS, and, 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 you know, some some basic statistics out on on the telemetry data. Today, the tools have changed. And and to complement, the CISA team has changed. I mean, we've got, you know, we work together, you know, on a daily basis on what what kind of data can you see? I mean, back then, you know, back 10 years ago, 12 years ago, there were four or five fields we could send. And, you know, today there's hundreds. I mean, and that is such an advantage to us as, as citizens, as anything, to think that, you know, we basically know the who, what, where, when, how of every transaction and how we use that. I think, and I think, Sean, you make a very good point is some of that data needs to go to whatever the Einstein program becomes. But, the, you know, as we saw the telemetry data, some of that can go to CDM, some of that can go, you know, to the NCAG, but goes to the, you know, to where we're sharing that data and the tools. Uh, it is a true advantage that we're now being able to capture that data, but we still have to capture it. Where I get nervous is when I hear vendors and partners and people in the field say, well, you know, we really don't need to send that data anymore. It's just not relevant. It is absolutely relevant. And, and, People, one of the biggest questions that we get asked, I get asked personally in the field as someone that worked in old tick and new tick is, well, why is this so important? And when you lay it out as to why it's so important, like, oh, I get it. The question now is how do you manage it? Because the amount of data that comes is so great. And I think, Sean, we've had those discussions before is what do you do with all the data you get? Sure. One of the reasons for the original tick initiative, the original memos, was because of 
there wasn't the ability to uh, monitor all those connections, those external connections at where they were originally located, to put the security uh, infrastructure in place, to monitor them, know who they're talking to, what's going across the network. So that was the reason for the TIC initiative, to route those connections back to these where you had these finite access points. But now, as you said, it's totally flipped. Security couldn't scale 10 years ago. Now security can scale. Now it's a different challenge. Now it's what do you do with all this data? Ten years ago, it was more routing the traffic back to where you could have the sensors. Now it's those sensors can be distributed more. They could be give you uh, much better context, uh, better fidelity, a richer set of awareness back to the uh, agency and to ourselves. And that's our challenges going forward. And I think when you asked the question, how does cloud play into this? In the past, when when you look at how you know Einstein and Einstein three, it would would update you know policy in, into the into the tick system and you know, there was a process we'd send this out to the mtip providers to the tick providers and say you know please put this update in cloud now allows us to be able to globally distribute updates in a matter of seconds so it, it changes the ability of how we're able to use this data i mean if you look at the, back then it may have taken us two four five six seven weeks to update tick platforms and there, there's probably 10 or 20 of them where now we can upgrade Tick platforms globally within minutes because of cloud distribution. I think that's the advantage that these changes will make that will be very helpful in, in, in growing where the future of, of the telemetry data goes. Sean, I want to turn back to you and talk a little bit about those pilots. You mentioned SBA. You mentioned energy. I think Justice Department may have also done a pilot. Give, give me a sense of what you guys learned from those pilots and how that's given you – if you will, the, the first step towards creating the use cases for toward helping other agencies come up with their use cases? The pilots that we've done so far, uh, we've distilled a number of lessons learned outside how they're using the new environment cells, but just a broader for the for the um, building out the new, the new use cases. So with the agencies, one of the things we've recognized is when we talk to an agency and the solution they're building out, they may be working with a cloud provider, and cloud providers have a ton of different services available. And the, the uh, agency may only be focusing on a small segment of the services or a small uh, part of what the cloud provider can provide. So one of, the, one of the things we need to do is possibly work with multiple pilots just to capture that broad spectrum of cloud services as they're valuable. It's also important to us when the uh, agencies articulating what their vision is, is understanding those data flows. The agencies really need to understand the, the data that they're trying to protect, agencies need to understand the flows that come out from those systems, where they're going, also the different uh, C-count or users that will be using it. It's not only about the federal employees and how they're accessing the data, the public, how they may be accessing the data, system-to-system, hybrid, multi-cloud. And we need to have the agencies explain that to us when we're building out and choosing those pilots. Generally speaking, I know we've heard a lot from SBA. We've, they've talked a lot about their pilots was there anything that surprised you that came from theirs or some of the other agency pilots? Was there anything that made you guys change direction or go, whoa, or, and maybe this is more of a complicated question, or did the emergence of zero trust, uh, I'll tag it back to that earlier part of our conversation, did that make you change in some way as you were developing these documents and as you go forward into the, the summer? You mentioned uh, SBA. I think one of the things from SBA they were the gold standard of pilots. It's going to be pretty tough for some other agencies to get up to the bar of where Maria wrote and her team uh, was able to go with the pilot. They're still talking about what they've done. They're still we're actually working with them in the background um, on, on some other parts of their pilot going forward. One of the interesting things working with the Department of Energy, Max Everett's team, was 
we built out the baseline of how they wanted to secure their environment. But they also said they recognized they wanted some security solutions above and beyond what TIC was offering at the time. So it's where TIC is that baseline, if you will, but the agencies are certainly welcome to go above and beyond to secure their environment. And Steve, let me bring you into this as well because one of the questions as we talk about those pilots and what agencies are looking for, do you get a sense of what they're asking, not just from DHS, but from vendors? One of the lessons learned that I saw from those pilots was that the the end agencies realize that maybe not one vendor solves all the problems, right? So, you know, I think that was a, a good lesson learned. And I know that, uh, you know, in, in, in the two that we spoke of, the idea of we've gotten some data, but we might need other, as Sean said, other data to look at. And how do we do that? So those pilots morphed. It was that they started one way, but turned it and added two or three more tools along the way to create this new, like let's call it a kind of a new TIC 3.0 vision, which now you're seeing more and more of as, you know, very, very rarely do you see you're going into a scenario where they're saying, well, we're going to just go with this. It's I'm going to go with, I like the solution, but I'm going to add X and Y to get the extra things I need. I think that's what DHS is encouraging, right? Is, is let's make sure that we're, we're working. There is this, this ability to interoperate. There's this ability for us to have a use case that shows not just this, but the, the standard t- tick, as like we talked about DOE, but being able to add those external services on top of it. I thought that was, I think from those two, both those trials, we learned that, that that's going to continue to happen along the way. It's, I think one thing I'd like to add also is uh, when you go back to the OMB memo, the use cases themselves are uh, vendor agnostic. So it's not vendor A's use case, vendor B's use case. It's infrastructure as a service use case. And so one of the things we need to do when we build out these pilots is work with multiple agencies. They're using the different vendors so we get the right level of abstraction but clarity at the same time so we're not focused on one vendor solution. It's more agnostic, if you will, and able to be used by multiple vendors. We have to take a break. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, Program Manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Zscaler Vice President of Global Government. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, Program Manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Vice President of Global Government for Zscaler. So, so one thing that you brought up, Steve, that's interesting is, do you get other agencies asking, maybe previously before this, these new TIC 3.0 use cases are out, asking, well, TIC only does X and Y. We really want to do Z as well. Can we not do Z? And you guys, as a, from the vendor side, are like, well, we could do Z, but it can't be part of TIC. I mean, it, could they not before add more capabilities to the, the to the baseline? Or they always could, I, I would have imagined. Yeah, I think there was no limitations. I think that, you know, when you look at the original TIC, there was your reference architecture that had these services. But there was always the appendices that had a, each provider was allowed to list other services. I think the issue was in in that environment, the way that was provided, the costs associated with it was older technology. And so now you're seeing as technology has migrated to, you know, multi-factor, cloud-based, you know, SASE, if you pardon me using a Gartner term, those types of things you're seeing customers are saying, oh, I want this. And now it actually is an achievable thing. It's not a custom build. You know, most of the ticks back in the day, if you look at the stuff we did at Verizon and in other places, it was a lot of bespoke builds around tick. Now it's, you can buy this and I can add, I can check the box for Y and Z 
and I can get it. And I think that what, what the new policy is going to allow them to do is as long as I can report the spirit of the tick, the telemetry data, I'm not doing, you know, breaking the core rules, you know, we're able to do some things at a very cost effective level. Sean, jump in on that point about the this idea of wanting to add more capabilities. Uh, one thing I want to add, so as we build out these alternative solutions and we build out these new use cases, the branch office use case that we delivered is a perfect example. I'm very uh, cognizant of scope creep of tick, and I want to make sure it stays to what we're focused on. Traditional tick, it was really that north-south traffic. It wasn't focused on the branch office going to the headquarters or branch office going to the data center. But as we start uh, um, with TIC3, having this branch office use case where now the branch office can go directly to the web, a branch office can go directly to the cloud provider, now it's scope for TIC, I think, is, a, is a relevant in terms of those connections that go back to the headquarters of the data center. Now we need to provide guidance around that in a way we didn't need to before because now that branch office is a possible uh, pivot point for threat actors. We need to be aware of that. So how do we secure those connections back to uh, what we call agency resource in a way we, we didn't think was in scope in the last iteration. Sean, walk me through what the next, if you will, six to 12 months looks like for tech. I think as I've written and we've talked about before, there's a lot of pent up desire to to figure this out. The use cases could take another year. We may not get finalization for 18 more months. What are your milestones that you're trying to achieve? And then how are you going to try to go as fast as you're able to? Mm-hmm. With Tick too, and I was part of the team that we uh, when we were, uh, I was at a different role in agency, but I was part of the team that built up Tick two and the guidance. It took almost eleven months to go from the draft guidance with Tick two to actually the final publication. No one is on the expectation or desire to take that long. We understand the interest and the pressure both from agencies and vendors. Ideally, uh, what we've been saying is we want to get the Tick guidance that we have now from draft to uh, final in the springtime. And then at the same time, in the background, we're working with that OMBs, the Federal CISO TIC subcommittee, to help them as they start to prepare and announce new pilots in the background. So it's the publication of the current guidance in final form. It's us supporting the current use cases and current pilots and preparing for that next round of use cases and pilots. Is there any sense of how many pilots you guys want to do to to test this out? I mean – there's plenty of use cases, but doesn't mean it's one pilot, one use case. It could be multiple pilots per use case. It could be multiple use cases get one pilot. I mean, no, that's exactly right. So it can be the use cases that are mentioned in the OMB memo, uh, the infrastructures, SAS, PAS, and those ones. But then there's ones where we also realize it's possible, it's a potential use case. Uh, one thing about TIC is it's a, a wide spectrum of agencies and the interest. So we suspect there'll be a zero trust use case, we suspect there may be an Internet of Things use case. We've also talked to agencies. They want uh, to understand something about um, unified communications, as we call it now, UCOMS. There's a bunch of potential use cases, but we want to talk to agencies understand where they want us to focus next. And just like you mentioned, it's also possible where we need to use, especially with zero trust, maybe five or so agencies at least is to build out that one use case. It's not as reflective right now, which are one or two different pilots to one use case. I would add to that. I, th- I, I agree. I think that one thing that – that I encourage agencies for, and I know Sean and I have had this discussion, is it's that low-hanging fruit. Let's go after the things we know multiple agencies want today. So it, it whether it's SaaS access you know, for 365 service now, whatever, whatever the application is, or it's a zero-trust solution, or it is a mobile workforce solution, 
where we can sell it to where it's an application at every agency. If you go to if you go into agencies today, they're like, well, one of the most important things is I want to get my my remote users going through a tick-like connection. Well, that is one that can be used across multiple agencies. So focusing on those low-hanging fruit early will get us some really solid use cases that I think everybody can take advantage of. And I think you know, we've, we've had these discussions, Sean, and I think that I encourage, I know I encourage agencies, to let's look at that low-hanging fruit, that one thing, because there may be somebody else we know of that's writing that use case, and I'll put the two of you together. So we're not writing 10 use cases for one solution. It's one use case for 10. And Sean, what is DHS doing to institutionalize, socialize, get the word out beyond obviously talking to folks like me? Once we released the draft guidance in December, in January and February, we've been doing uh, tick road shows to a number of agencies where we went to the agencies. And, as, and when I say we, it should be fair. Uh, the Einstein team and GSA EIS were also at these road shows. We did deep dive one-on-ones, explain uh, each of the documents in detail, go through the use cases or methodology and such. And so each of the agencies kind of understand the belief behind it. And then also we've had a, n- a number of uh, webinars for agencies GSA, they've hosted uh, a webinar from their side for vendors. And then there's been a number of uh, public appearances we've done at the same time, trying to get the word out. Again, it's going back to understanding Tick 2 took 11 months. We're trying to shrink that time as much as possible. Understand this is arcane and uh, um, complex guidance. We're trying to socialize as much as possible so agencies understand where we're trying to go. Cadence, too, the fact that it's the first time you're seeing CDM, Tick, FedRAM. EIS office all working together to kind of put this message out. In the past, it was always, well, you got to talk to those guys or these guys. I, I think it's, it's, it's exciting because you go into a meeting with, 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 you know, CISA and, and EIS and they're like, yeah, we're working together. And FedRAMP and CISA, they're working together. That, that, that makes it easy for the agencies and it makes it easy for the, for the vendors that want to get in because the communication is now flowing across. Kudos to you guys for that. We have to take a break. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, Program Manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Zscaler Vice President of Global Government. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Sean Connolly, the Homeland Security Department's Trusted Internet Connections, or TIC, Program Manager, and Stephen Kovac, the Vice President of Global Government for Zscaler. Steve, what should industry keep in mind as DHS develops these use cases, as DHS kind of gets these things finalized? When you think, what what should they keep in mind? The most important thing that I, you know, obviously we talked about low-hanging fruit. The other thing I I, I think what we talk about is, is, you know, understanding the goals you're really trying to achieve, right? So... A lot of agencies have come to me and says, I have this really great specific use case. And, and I try to coach them and say, let's focus on one that is an everyday use case that solves your problem now. And then we can migrate to that. I think that a lot of guys, a lot of agencies are trying to maybe say, I'm different. I'm the special snowflake, just like us vendors like to say we're the different special snowflake. And I think right now what I try to say is we're new into this process. Let's get one win under your belt. Because writing a use case is not just writing, filling out a web form. I mean, there's work that has to be done. There's research that has to be done. You have to submit it to the CIO council. So I always say, let's get one, let's get a win. And then we can add on that special snowcase, special snowflake down the road. I, I just try to keep it simple for them. I think what I'd like to add, especially on the vendor side, are these overlays. And the overlays are a new concept. So if you go back to the memo, it talks about the capabilities and the use cases. Uh, when we started building out these draft use cases, 
realize there's a gap, if you will, in terms of abstraction. It, there's, it doesn't really promote or talk about how to use a particular vendor's services. So that's why in just the last few months, working through Greg Schneider's team, the federal CISO, uh, developing these overlays. And it's a way that the uh, uh, agencies can use these simple roadmaps, if you will, that crosswalk the vendor services versus the TIC capabilities and TIC objectives. We think the agencies can then use those to understand what services are available from the vendors to use. The overlays come with some big caveats that we don't go in the configuration of the, the service itself. We don't talk about the strength of the mapping, but at least gives the agency an awareness of what services they can use to support their architectures. The other thing I would always that I try to say is this is going to be a multi-vendor approach. CIS is not going to tell you who, what vendors anymore to use or what boxes to use, but it's, you're never going to solve this with one or two, you know, maybe two. But usually you're looking at a couple of vendors to solve the problem. Don't be afraid of that. But at the same time, don't try to pick somebody outside the realm, right? You want to look to somebody that currently has the certifications you need to do it. Because realize, if even because you've built a TIC3 data solution, if you've built it in the cloud, it's not FedRAMP, it's still not, it's still not going to work. So, you know, be smart, right? Pick the solutions that are there that that you've used today that meet the requirement, meet the requirements, and be, be, okay, be okay using a couple, two, three vendors to solve your problem. Just make sure they integrate and that you're not buying capabilities that are 80% and then buying someone else for the other 20% and then buying someone else for the for the final 5% and then f- et cetera, where we see the vendor. The a vendor. very good point. Yeah. A very good point. And I think the use cases are going to – that's that right there, Jason, is where you just define why the use cases are critical because the use cases are going to show where people tried that. And guess what? It didn't work. And it's going to get reported back that that didn't work. But if you used X, Y, it worked. And that's what I think we, we hope the use cases, and I'm sure they will, will come out and say this is a really solid use case for remote user and SaaS access, and this is how they did it. I think from our side – what we're looking at is the agencies using those use cases to build out their architectures, using the security capabilities handbook to build out their security solutions, the actual uh, the, the countermeasures and such that will protect the data, and then using those overlays to decide, okay, which uh, vendor solutions map back to those capabilities that can embed in those use cases. Sean, one last thing that comes to mind as we're talking through this, and you guys have brought this up during our conversation, is this idea of the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS contract. This is the big telecommunications modernization effort. And a lot of the vendors like Verizon, CenturyLink, AT&T are the, also the MTIPS providers under the TIC program. Well, connect the two for me. How is DHS and, and CISA working with GSA on EIS to make sure TIC 3.0 and the use cases are all integrated properly? Going back to 2014 and the old networks contract, we've been working almost on a weekly basis with the GSA team in preparation for uh, TIC 3 one of the uh, concerns that we wanted to make sure we uh, addressed with the, the new contract was flexibility, that ability as uh, CISA comes out with new capabilities, that the contracts are in a, built in a way where those capabilities can then be embedded uh, in, in those contracts. So uh, the team at EIS, they've done a great job of working with us in the partnership going forward. The, uh, the belief is these use cases, we develop these use cases, the EIS team will build those into service packages to be built into the EIS contracts. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that, you know, part of IT modernization, you look at, we talk about the IT modernization report, talk tick modernization, EIS is is all about modernization. And I think it's an interesting time, and we now have the 
just recently in RFI came out for the primes. And I think you're going to see the traditional players, but for once we are going to see the, the Granites and the Mettels and the BT Federals are going to have a, a play because now you can come to the table with something that isn't, you know, this massive infrastructure. So I think it's a, it, I think there's no question the modernization and EIS will be the, the vehicle, the choice vehicle of the future for this. But I think it's finally you're going to see some interesting ideas come from this RFI. I hope all the primes do come out with it, and uh, it'll be fun to see what we get. Let me thank my guest. Sean Conley is the TIC Program Manager at the Homeland Security Department. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Great to be here. And Stephen Kovac, the Vice President of Global Government for Zscaler. Steve, thanks so much for your time as well. Great to be here again, Jason. Earlier in the program, you heard DHS's Sean Connolly bring up the Enterprise Infrastructure Solutions, or EIS, program. I want to shift gears here for a second and play an excerpt from a recent show where Bill Zielinski, the Assistant Commissioner for the Office of Information Technology category in GSA's Federal Acquisition Service, discussed how GSA is helping agencies with these cybersecurity and other IT modernization requirements. One of the things in the scope review, we really get down to some technical sorts of things. I I talked earlier about the TIC 2.0 to TIC 3.0 transition. Uh, we have seen some instances where the fair opportunity solicitation that agencies have put together uh, were really written. The specification of the requirement that was in there is really written to TIC 2.0. That's something that we will actually we, we will actually sit down with them and say, you know, you're really writing to kind of yesterday's uh, kind of technical requirement from a TIC perspective. And, and here's the ways in which you can better incorporate TIC 3.0 into your solicitation. And, and even to the extent of we, we will bring DHS into those conversations to provide that technical support and guidance going forward. So, so those, are, those are much more technical in nature. From, from the standpoint of a, an acquisition strategy itself, we do speak to them very much about the, the options that they have across those providers and different approaches that they may want to take depending upon what their technical needs are. So, so yes, as part of their, as part of the review of their solicitations, we, we go through kind of a technical review as well as an acquisition approach and strategy uh, discussion with them. What's the message to industry? What's the message to agencies beyond, you know, get these out, come on, let's make it happen. What we've attempted to do throughout this, Jason, is to, is to really bring together the providers with the agencies and so so the message the message that we have for agencies is that as they're exploring their technical requirements there's an ample opportunity for them to rather than being highly prescriptive and highly specific in the requirements to pull back from from kind of that deep level of specification and really allow for an opportunity for industry to bring solutions to the table. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small-town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave, 
And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.